Thank you, Glynis, very much indeed. Now, it's great to be back. And uh, as I said earlier, the sabbatical has been a very enriching time for me. I don't underestimate the privilege of sabbatical leave. Uh, Paul and I just touched on a few dates. The reality is that I was ordained on the 21st of June, 1979. And uh, therefore, those of you who are quick at maths will have worked out that I've had 36 years as a minister up until the present time, and in that have had the privilege of four sabbatical breaks. And they are kind of breathing spaces in ministry. Uh, therefore, I come now into what I would kind of sense as the fifth chapter of an unfolding episode of ministry, all of which is just a phenomenal privilege. And I come with fresh energy and renewed commitment, deeper spirituality, I trust, and a clearer focus. Now, the largest amount of my time was given over to reading and writing about Jerusalem. I'm not going to attempt to uh, get a grasp on all of that in any way this morning. I'm just going to give you the tiniest taste of uh, what I've been working on and then come more particularly to some words that Glynis read just now. Jerusalem is a place that is mentioned in the Bible more than any other. Every indication is that Abraham went there that Joshua went near to Jerusalem, that David captured the city, that Solomon built a temple there, that the prophets often spoke about Jerusalem, that the Psalms expressed deep feelings about Jerusalem, and so on right the way through the Bible. Jesus came there as a baby. He came there as a young person at the age of 12. He came there as an adult. He was crucified there. He was buried there. He rose again there. The Holy Spirit came powerfully to the disciples in Jerusalem. The church began there. And the last book of the Bible describes heaven as the new Jerusalem. It is a phenomenally significant place. So why is it so important? Well, it's important in the Bible because the Bible is an account of God's dealings with a nation and with the whole world. And ultimately, the whole Bible is focused around Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And the whole Bible is also focused around the mission of God and the way in which God is seeking to work in this world of ours today. So to use technical language, the Bible, the whole Bible, needs to be understood messianically because it is all pointing to Jesus and it needs to be understood missionally because it's all talking about God's mission in the world. And Jerusalem is the central place for both. The mission of the church began in Jerusalem. The disciples soon scattered and the gospel spread quickly. But in the earlier years, there was a constant referring back to Jerusalem. In the book of Acts, the story keeps deflecting back to Jerusalem and the core leadership of the Jerusalem church. Then going a little bit on in history for a while, Jerusalem fell into the background. But after the Council of Nicaea, AD 325, the mother of Emperor Constantine, whose name was Helena, went to Jerusalem and quickly started to reinstate its great significance, focusing especially on some of the historical sites where momentous events took place and started building churches on it. And that's how this whole business began to evolve of church buildings over holy sites. Today, Jerusalem is an incredible place, profoundly significant to Jews 
and to Muslims? In what sense is it also important to Christians? That's a very big question. That's not one that can be answered in a few minutes, but I do attempt to address it in my writing. Seeing Jerusalem both as a center of history, as a focal point of faith, and incredibly, I believe, as a paradox of suffering and hope. This city has lived pain and hope right the way through its history. And in this way, I believe Jerusalem speaks powerfully into our multi-faith society. It is a place where those different faith groups interact and often conflict. It speaks powerfully into our contemporary society, often asking very honest and deep questions about how faith and suffering can possibly go together. It's almost as if in the city of Jerusalem today it gathers in itself the challenges of the whole world in the way in which it just lives a life of exuberance and of suffering. And then as believers we look forward to the new Jerusalem. That's the way heaven is described in Revelation. And is there any sense in which the past city of Jerusalem and the stories recorded in the Bible, the place where Jesus lived and died, the present Jerusalem, a city of pain and hope, and the powerful intersection of three major faiths, and the future Christian vision of heaven and new Jerusalem, is there any sense in which these link together? Are they totally disconnected? Or is there some kind of tangled thread weaving through the whole thing? That's what I try to explore a little bit. I cannot begin to enter into the detail of all that I've read and written. But above all else, that has helped me to sense a bigger picture of what God is doing in this world today. You see, it's so easy for us to become very absorbed in one place and one time. And this is why I was so looking forward to a sabbatical break and why I come back so refreshed from it. Because it's easy for me as a leader to become locked in one place and one time and just one little situation. And, and when that happens, sometimes the vision begins to close in. And then you look and read and think uh, and you see a little bit more about what God's doing in the whole world. And that vision begins to grow and expand again. God is a God of the universe. His spirit is stretching across the world today. Our only hope is in Jesus Christ, who is himself the fulfillment of so much that is seen in the city of Jerusalem. And in our Christian understanding, ultimately, our trust and hope and confidence is not in a place, but it's in a person. God is not confined to one place or one time. All over the world, the Spirit is moving. And the center of that spiritual movement is in a person. And that person is Jesus Christ. So for me, this has been an experience of sensing a bigger picture. So I may come back to Jerusalem another time. Or you may have the opportunity in a while of reading 
some of what I have written, the work that I've done. Um, I'm at the moment just putting out to one or two people for reflective, critical analysis, because I think it's always good to actually get some feedback and get some response from those who have uh, specialisms in the area before uh, putting it out to a wider audience. And haven't yet decided how that uh, will, will progress. But uh, there will definitely be something you can read a little bit later on for those of you who are interested, and I'm sure I will come back to Jerusalem and be happy to talk in a lot more detail about it uh, from time to time. But in the few moments that we have left this morning, let me take you to the words from which the title of my work in Jerusalem has come. These words towards the end of Jesus' conversation with his disciples, at the end of uh, uh, the Easter story after the incident of the two on the road to, uh, to Emmaus, back in Jerusalem, Jesus opened the minds of the disciples so that they could understand the Scriptures. And it's just this little paragraph that we're going to focus on. He told them, this is what is written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. That's the catchphrase. You are witnesses of these things. And I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And just very quickly, to highlight from those words. First of all, a focus on Jesus, because he told them what was written in the Scriptures, that the Messiah will suffer, rise from the dead. Will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. A focus on Jesus. And the whole Jerusalem story focuses on Jesus, and the whole gospel focuses on Jesus. And we need to have a focus on Jesus today. And whilst we may be involved in all kinds of activities, and the life of the church is a very complex gathering, and exciting that it is, but our focus all the time is Jesus. And if we lose sight of that focus then our vision will be impaired. We need it to be clear. We need it to be strong. Every day, as God's people, we believe in Jesus. A focus on Jesus. And out of that comes a gospel message. This is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name. That message of turning round, of turning away from all that we know to be wrong, of stepping forward, of putting our whole trust and confidence in Jesus Christ, in knowing that when he died on the cross, he died for you, he died for me, and it was in his death and in his resurrection that we have the gift of eternal life and we have to put our total trust and confidence in him. And that message of repentance, of forgiveness that he is able to make clean and make new and bring a transformation to us as individual people, to church communities who together trust in him, and ultimately to society as the gospel message penetrates our local community powerfully. Such a gospel message is always at the core of who we are and what we do. And as I've traced Jerusalem uh, through the history of the church, as I have thought particularly about uh, the stories in the Bible that refer to Jerusalem, 
The gospel message is right at the center all the time. And we must never lose sight of it. The passage goes on to say, Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations. To all nations. Jerusalem was never meant to be a place in isolation. The prophets envisaged Jerusalem as a place to which all nations would come. The Psalms poetically expressed Jerusalem as the center of the nations. Almost visually, Jerusalem speaks to the whole world. And the Christian gospel speaks to the whole world. And the church is a gathering of people of all nations. I've so enjoyed some of my visits to congregations where there are so many people from different nationalities gathered together to worship. Uh, the most, uh, the, the congregation that, that stuck out the most from that point of view was in Greenford in London, very close to where I used to be minister. And uh, Greenford Baptist Church, where David Wise has been minister for many years because he was there when I was in Greenford and I've since gone on to Enfield and come here. And David has stayed right the way through and uh, steered that church into becoming a wonderful multicultural gathering that is uh, just hugely creative. It was great to be there. And, and just to sense something special when people from all nations come together. The gospel is for all nations. The church is for all nations. And we need to interact much more deeply with our Christians and brothers and sisters across the world. Remember to pray for Laura as she goes to Bolivia and as she works with Bolivian volunteers together because that will be a creative partnership and an exciting one that lives out the truth of the gospel being for all nations. But beginning at Jerusalem, that's what this message says. And Jerusalem is key. The gospel begins at Jerusalem. Uh, there's, a, of course, the more familiar words at the beginning of Acts chapter 1 which also has the phrase, beginning in Jerusalem. And I was a bit torn as to whether I would use the phrase in Acts 1 or the phrase in Luke 24 as the title for what I was writing. Uh, but you will remember Acts 1 verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the ends of the, work, the world. The mission of the church began in Jerusalem. It's repeated here in, in Luke 24 that the message begins at Jerusalem. And those first disciples were witnesses of these things. Jesus said to them, you are witnesses of these things. You are witnesses of the death and the resurrection of Jesus. You're witnesses of the birth of the church. You're witnesses of the coming of the Spirit. You are witnesses of God's good news for the whole world, for all people, and for all time. Those first disciples were the first witnesses. But we too are witnesses of the same gospel message. We're witnesses because for so many of you this morning, you can tell a story of how Jesus has come to you. How you have known his forgiveness, his new life, his blessing, the power of his spirit, the way in which he's guided you and led you. And your story becomes part of the big story. And you and I are witnesses of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But we witness not 
with our own words and in our own strength. We are witnesses in the power of the Holy Spirit, which is the final phrase in this passage. You are witnesses to these things. I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And you can see how this links to Acts 1 and verse 8 and the Spirit coming and the witness beginning in Jerusalem and spreading across the world in the power of the Holy Spirit. And it is God who comes to us and through Jesus is able to bring that cleansing and that new life and through his Holy Spirit is able to envision us to be natural, spontaneous witnesses when we are engaged in conversation and as we live out the faith that is so important to us. I mentioned briefly earlier my walk on the coastal path. It was uh, a truly splendid part of the sabbatical. And uh, unashamedly, I would say it was part of my sort of sabbatical experience. It wasn't a break from it. It was very much a part of it. And uh, I so enjoyed that time. And uh, amongst other things, as I was walking the sabbatical path, the song that came strongly to my mind was uh, the song Oceans, which many of you will remember. You call me out of the waters, the great unknown, where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery. In oceans deep, my faith will stand. And I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When ocean oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace. For I am yours and you are mine. This is living deeply in the power of the Holy Spirit. Your grace abounds in deepest waters. Your sovereign hand will be my guide. Where feet may fail and fear surrounds me, you've never failed. And you won't start now. And in this prayer, as the song really turns from, from affirmation into prayer, Spirit, lead me. Where my trust is without borders, let me walk upon the waters wherever you would call me. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander and my faith will be made stronger in the presence of my Saviour. I took those words and uh, put some of the pictures from the walk to them. So let's just watch that for a few moments now and then we'll pick up the rest of the song after the end of the service. <laughs> 